This is Lock and Code, a Mauerbytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. This week, we're going to do something a little different. We have no guest today, no interview, no back and forth. Instead, today's episode will just feature me telling you a story. A factual one, obviously. And it's a story that may not have a clear, right answer. Allow me to explain. Today's story involves the policies and the uses of VPNs, uh, virtual private networks. We've talked about VPNs on the show a couple times, actually. And I'm pretty sure that both times, our resident VPN expert said that people looking to purchase a VPN they should check whether that VPN keeps logs of its users' activity. This is a big deal amongst VPN companies, as these products have become one of the go-to tools for helping protect some of your online privacy. With a VPN, you can access content that is geo-restricted in your country. You can protect your web traffic from eavesdroppers on a public network. And importantly, You can hide your online activity from your internet service provider, or ISP, either because you don't want your browsing habits to be used for targeted advertising, or because you just kind of hate your ISP. I mean, who doesn't? But part of the bargain of using a VPN is that you have to trust your provider. Sure, with the VPN, your ISP can no longer see all of your online activity. But your VPN can. And what would happen if your VPN provider is breached? What if there isn't even a breach? What if your VPN provider just sold your data behind your back for their benefit? What if they gave your data to anyone who asked for it? Today's story involves two VPNs that kept logs of their users' activity. Detailed logs, it turns out. And while the story, like I said, involves the use of VPNs, it isn't about VPNs. It's actually about cybercrime. Today's story is an ugly story. It has a disturbing set of facts about a criminal who cyberstalked his new roommate. He broke into her online accounts. He sent abusive texts to her and her family and her friends. He falsified bomb threats in her area, and he tried to cover his tracks by using VPN services. But because those VPN services did not honor a no-log policy, they were able to hand over just what he had done when using their services, which, in the end, helped put him in jail. Everything in today's story is supported by the Department of Justice's public statements and the sworn affidavit of FBI Special Agent Jeffrey Williams. It is the spring of 2016, and a woman named Jennifer Smith has a new opening in her shared house in Watertown, Massachusetts. Jennifer is 23 years old. She lives with two other housemates, and they need a new roommate to move in. So Jennifer posts an ad on Craigslist. We don't know a lot about Jennifer. Uh, Jennifer isn't her real name. But we do know about some of her security and online practices. For instance, we know she has an online journal where she writes private information. And she's uploaded that journal to her Google Drive account. We know that she stores photos that she doesn't mean to share on her Apple iCloud account. We also know that her MacBook is not password protected and that she has a file on her MacBook with all of her online account passwords. These are not 
criticisms. Many people live a similar life. And honestly, depending on your threat model, you may have never even considered protecting your laptop with a password. We also know one small detail about Jennifer's physical residence. Her bedroom doesn't have a lock. It's now March, still 2016, and Jennifer's Craigslist ad is answered by a man named Ryan Lynn. Ryan Lynn is his real name. Ryan is 24 years old. He's a recent computer science graduate from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. And since his graduation, he's developed a background in computers and information technology. Quickly, Ryan moves in. Towards Jennifer and towards his new roommates, Ryan isn't just a a bad roommate, okay? He's a lot worse, and his behavior ramps up very quickly. There isn't like a a grace period for Ryan. He just, uh, just listen. In May, just weeks after moving into Jennifer's house, Ryan texts Jennifer and he references an abortion and a past boyfriend that Jennifer had that she never divulged to anyone in her house. In fact, that information was only really detailed in Jennifer's private journal, which, again, she stored on her Google Drive account. In the same month, Ryan pounds on Jennifer's door at 3 a.m., He barges into her bedroom, remember there's no lock, and he screams at her about supposedly cheating him out of the full amount of marijuana he was owed in an earlier sale. Again, in the same month, Jennifer finds that a plastic bottle containing her prescription medication is jammed into the toilet, which caused the bathroom to flood. Ryan denies any involvement. In the same month again, Jennifer finds printed pages of her online journal strewn about her room. Ryan again denies he did it, but in this confrontation, Jennifer grabs a hammer and repeatedly hits Ryan's computer monitor, which is a detail that just has to be mentioned. Throughout this time, which again is just weeks after moving in, Ryan also torments Jennifer's two other housemates. His two housemates. What am I saying? He smears yogurt in the living room and claims he is, quote, redecorating. He throws food away into different closets in the house. He tosses out one roommate's kitchen utensils and texts her about her exact salary, which she never told him which causes concern that he's somehow accessed her private files in the same way that Jennifer believes Ryan has accessed her private journal on her Google Drive. Also, according to a to-do list that Ryan kept in his email accounts, one item said, set up hidden camera. This obviously proves to be too much. So in late May or early June, Jennifer moves out to live with her father for her safety. The two remaining housemates complain to their landlord and to the police, and in early August, Ryan is kicked out. On the same day, one of Jennifer's roommates successfully obtains a, quote, harassment prevention order from the local police. This is marginal progress because for Jennifer the harassment campaign against her will only ramp up for another year. 
It is July 28th, 2016, and Ryan won't be kicked out of the house for another two days. On this day, Jennifer receives an email in her inbox, which is spoofed to make it look like it has come from her. The email is addressed to her, to Ryan, and to their two housemates, and attached to the email are five PDFs and several photos. The PDFs are selected pages from Jennifer's online journal. The photos are a bizarre collage. Some photos taken from Jennifer's iCloud account show Jennifer's face, and others show naked breasts and genitalia. It is unclear if the explicit photos are of Jennifer, but the insinuation is pretty clear, right? Someone is trying to make it seem like all of those photos are of Jennifer. And we're only about two months into this harassment campaign, and already it is impossible not to ask this. (laughs) Aren't these crimes... Are these not crimes? I mean, come on. Accessing someone's Google Drive and Apple iCloud accounts without permission seems like a crime. And that's because accessing online accounts without permission is, yes, a crime. Sharing sexually explicit photos of someone or making it appear that way, that seems like a crime, right? And that's because, yes, in many states, according to many circumstances, that is a crime. But At this point in time, we're still more than a year away from any legal resolution. After Ryan is kicked out, Jennifer receives a mix of harassing messages and online interactions. Sometimes she is contacted directly by Ryan. He he doesn't try to hide his identity. But other times, she gets messages from newly made social media accounts that obscure their owner. When Ryan isn't hiding his identity, he is making attempts to contact Jennifer. Blocked from making a friend request directly to Jennifer on Facebook, Ryan makes friend requests to her friends and family. Ryan also creates four different Instagram accounts and tries to add Jennifer as a friend for each account. He repeatedly harasses her over email, especially when Jennifer posts a warning on Craigslist to other renters in the area to not offer their space to Ryan. Ryan's messages are unhinged and predictably misogynistic. Uh, He constantly brings up her abortion. He tries to press her into feeling guilty about it. He calls her a murderer. He says downright deranged shit, like, I've been very patient with you and will continue to be patient because I know crazy girls aren't capable of making good decisions. They just jump from one psychotic episode to another. Another message. You obviously have a lot of problems, which is normal for crazy girls. (sighs) What, What goes through the minds of men who write words like this while claiming women are quote-unquote crazy. What, what isn't allowing them to see that there is a deep unwellness in how they interact? I don't know. But sadly, it gets worse from here. The sexually explicit photos and the PDFs of Jennifer's online journal that were gathered and emailed out just a couple days before Ryan was kicked out, those materials start getting sent to far more people, as in hundreds of people 
some with an immediate relation to Jennifer, and others with the most tenuous of connections to her. For example, those materials are emailed to Jennifer's co-workers and her boss, but they are also emailed to a car dealership that Jennifer leased her car from. The materials are emailed to people who worked at her former high school, and to just, like local institutions where Jennifer lives now after leaving the house in Watertown? Uh, For instance, the materials are emailed to faculty members at Bentley University, which is located in Waltham, which is where Jennifer moved to to stay safe from the harassment she was facing previously when living with Ryan. The materials are also emailed to employees working for a school district in New Hampshire, which is where Jennifer's father lives. And the materials are also sent from a spoofed email address, making it look as though Jennifer's father sent the email himself. He did not. The harassment also affects new people in Jennifer's life. After Jennifer leaves Watertown, remember, she moves about three miles west to a city called Waltham. She gets two new roommates and a new apartment. Fresh start. But it's not. One roommate receives an email, purportedly from Jennifer, proposing a threesome with Jennifer and her coworkers. One roommate receives text messages that try to convince her to murder Jennifer in her sleep. The police in Waltham begin receiving false bomb threats, alleging there are bombs at Jennifer's apartment in Waltham, and at local high school and daycare centers. Around the same time, two school shooting threats are falsely made to look as though they came from Jennifer's roommate and Jennifer's former boss. And from July 2017 to September of the same year, Jennifer's mom receives multiple unsolicited images of child pornography. By this time, the FBI is closing in. Throughout this entire harassment campaign, much of the activity is being done through anonymized online services that help hide a person's identity, making their activity difficult to track. The emails. Remember that those spoofed other people's email addresses. Uh, Some of the Instagram profiles that sent harassing messages to Jennifer were made using services that allowed the profile's creator to remain anonymous. Uh, Text messages sent to Jennifer's co-workers, her family members, her roommates, and her friends, they were sent using a Canadian anonymous texting service called TextNow. And often... Any new online accounts created for the sole purpose of contacting Jennifer and others, those accounts were created by someone who was using a VPN. Now, many VPNs today trade on a similar approach of data privacy and protection. They promise to their users that the best way to keep their information private is to never collect it. There are legitimate advantages to this policy. Without keeping logs of your activity, that VPN cannot monetize your data. Without keeping logs of your online activity, that VPN can't share it with some seedy startup that has lacking cybersecurity controls. And without keeping logs of your activity, if, let's say, maybe, possibly, for some reason, the FBI asks about what a certain user did 
on a certain day at a certain time, the VPN provider can say, we don't know. We don't have that information to give you. We never collected it. But that's not the kind of VPN involved in today's story. We've got the other kind today, the one that does keep logs. Up to this point in the story, Ryan is, of course, unaware that he is being investigated by the FBI. But in the background, the FBI is putting together a case against him. And for that case, they need to connect some dots. They do some of that by relying on two VPN services that Ryan used. But to understand how they did it, we need to take a quick detour to talk about something called Rover. In April of 2017, Ryan creates a fake account with the pet-sitting company Rover. Rover is an app. It connects local pet walkers and pet sitters with customers who need on-demand or scheduled help with their pets. Ryan knows that Jennifer has used Rover services in the past as a pet sitter. She pet sits for other people. Ryan uses that as a vulnerability to get close to Jennifer. The fake account that Ryan makes includes a fake profile picture of a young woman and a fake name, Ashley Plano. On April 17th, 2017, Ashley Plano finds Jennifer on the Rover app, and she asks Jennifer if she can watch her two Yorkshire Terriers. Jennifer agrees to the gig, and she calls Ashley the day after. Ashley doesn't answer the phone, because what Ashley really wanted was Jennifer's new phone number, which Jennifer had changed because of Ryan's persistent harassment. So now, essentially, Jennifer has unwittingly given her new phone number to Ashley Plano by calling her to confirm the details of the dog-sitting gig. And of course, Ashley Plano isn't Ashley Plano at all. She's Ryan. Two days later, Jennifer starts receiving harassing texts all over again. Now, the reason we go on this brief rover detour is because that activity showed up in the VPN records that the FBI requested. In their investigation into the incident on rover, the FBI first learns that the Ashley Plano account was made using the email address teleportxf at gmail.com. The FBI also learns that on April 14th at 2.55 p.m., Ryan accesses his own personal Gmail account from an IP address that is owned by the VPN service WAN Security. The FBI knew that this was Ryan's personal email address. He'd used it to email Jennifer in the past. He used it to answer her Craigslist ad more than a year prior. Now, on the same day, again, April 14th, just 11 minutes later, someone accesses teleportxf at gmail.com from the exact same IP address that was owned by WAN Security. Three days later, April 17th, someone is accessing the Ashley Plano account on Rover from an IP address that belongs to a separate VPN. Less than two hours later, Ryan's email account is accessed from the same 
new IP address from this separate VPN. On two more occasions, the FBI finds that someone has accessed both Ryan's email account and the Ashley Plano Rover account, or the email that was used to create the account, teleportxf at gmail.com. Those are accessed one right after the other from the same IP addresses, each time belonging to a VPN. So we have two different VPNs in use, and someone is using the exact same IP addresses to log both into Ashley Plano's accounts and Ryan Lynn's real known accounts, often within minutes of one another. The VPN providers had offered up more than enough information to tie Ryan to the attempts to contact Jennifer through the fraudulent Rover account, and it was almost entirely through VPN logs. Now, at this point, I have to add that the VPN logs were not the only thing pointing to Ryan's involvement in the harassment campaign. The FBI also successfully obtained Ryan's work laptop from his old job, and even though his old employers had reinstalled Windows so that they could give it to a new employee down the line, there was quite a bit of information in the hard drive's unallocated space. In their examination, the FBI found that Ryan's old work computer included Google Chrome artifacts referencing the many bomb threats made in Waltham, along with artifacts showing that an individual with the username rlin, pretty similar to Ryan Lin, had as their most visited website textnow.com, that Canadian anonymous texting website that so many of the harassing messages seemed to come from. The old work laptop also showed that one of the VPNs used to access Ryan's and the Teleport XF email accounts was also installed on the laptop. And... It showed information for Jennifer's Spotify profile. So there's a lot tying together already. And then, of course, there's the whole, yes, Ryan lived in the room next to Jennifer, where Jennifer kept her unlocked computer and managed to learn things that Jennifer had only written down in her online journal. There's also the emails Ryan sent to Jennifer from his own identifiable email address in which he accused her of being crazy. There's the Instagram accounts that he made where he didn't hide his identity. There's being a terrible roommate to people and other people seeing it. Uh, In fact, the FBI interviewed Ryan's old classmates in his high school, and they said a lot as well. There's a lot. (laughs) There's, There's actually a lot to come to think of it, which is a little strange because I'll be honest with you here. When I first looked into this story, I thought, those VPN jerks, giving up records. And then I read what Ryan did, right? And I thought, yeah, we, yeah, lock this guy up. Just lock him up. And to only complicate the issue, I was upset that one of the stories we have about VPN usage is about its usage in actual criminal behavior. We've tried so hard to dispel the myth that only criminals use VPNs. And and here I am, talking for like 20 minutes about a legit criminal doing criminal things while using a VPN. And let's be clear here, Ryan Lin is a criminal. 
he was arrested in October of 2017, and in April of 2018, he pleaded guilty to seven counts of cyber-stalking, five counts of distribution of child pornography, nine counts of making hoax bomb threats, three counts of computer fraud and abuse, and one count of aggravated identity theft. And in October of 2018, six months later, he was sentenced to 17 years in prison. This is, in my mind, uh, the right outcome. This man obsessively harassed a woman and her family and her friends and her coworkers. He took private information from her without her consent. He weaponized that information to scare her, which is a shockingly common tactic in separate situations of domestic abuse. He did terrible things. Now, am I uncomfortable with the fact that a privacy-preserving tool gave up someone's privacy? Yeah, yeah, I, I am. I, I am, honestly. But when reading through the FBI special agent's affidavit, uh, I let go of some of that discomfort and swapped it with something else. Uh, something I can only describe as a feeling of poetry. On June 15th, 2017, months before Ryan would be arrested, he retweeted claims from a VPN provider that said it has a, quote, strict zero-log policy. Ryan criticized the veracity of that claim. He argued that any VPN that can track bandwidth usage will also log their users' activity. He commented on his own retweet, and he said, and I quote, there is no such thing as VPN that doesn't keep logs. At least in the single case of his own arrest, he was correct. That's our show. Thank you so much for listening. To everyone at home, we'll talk to you again in two weeks when we bring back the interview format. Until then, stay tuned and stay safe. And remember, you can read all of our cybersecurity coverage on Malwarebytes Labs at www.blog.malwarebytes.com. And please, if you like what you heard, review and follow our show.